Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. I am your host, the man in the rafters, the man they call Tony Lopez. And with me, as always, my co-host, one half of the fabulous Lopez Cousins, we have Dr. Bob Lopez. How you doing, Bob? Doing great. How about yourself? Doing good. Doing good. All right. And also joining with us tonight is from beautiful Island Lake, Illinois, the Warsaw Blonde himself, Mr. Adam Kulavik. How you doing, Adam? Doing great. How are you guys? Good. good. Awesome. Awesome. Now, tonight, we are going to do our top 20 favorite finishing moves. Now, as everybody knows, who's a professional wrestling fan, every tag team or wrestler has their own distinctive finishing maneuver. You know, the, the move that they do to just put the put their opponent's lights out and the match in grand style. And a lot of them are very show-stopping. They are much more impactful than others. They're designed to get a reaction from the crowd. And the best in my opinion, the best finishers are something that just drops your jaw and just makes you look on in disbelief. Like, how the hell did they do that? Also, it kind of suspends your disbelief in saying that, oh, yeah, if that was done to a regular person, they would probably be put in the hospital. So, you know, that's what we're kind of aiming for here with our top 20 finishing maneuvers. Um, Bob. When you, when picking a finishing maneuver, what do you what do you most look for in a finishing maneuver? When uh, when when we were doing this list, um, there was a couple things. I mean, you mentioned it previously when you were talking about uh the showstopper or like the uh the move to end the match. I mean, sometimes we we've all been to wrestling shows. Sometimes you know that that's part of the price of the ticket that we pay for. We we buy the ticket so we could go and see a certain maneuver being done that night. Um, so like just the excitement of the maneuver, um, the excitement of the match, but also the believability of the finisher as well. I mean, you, you, some, some finishers you see and you're like, holy crap, like, I can't believe that was just done. Uh, some finishers you'll, you'll see and you're like, okay, well he could do that on a small guy, but could he do it to a bigger wrestler? You know, and you want a believability and, and the, the credibility of the finisher to go along with it. And then something that's like you said, like I said, the you mentioned earlier, the show stopping, like the excitedness of the maneuver. Whereas if it's a simple, basic maneuver, like a heart punch, you're like, oh, that's it. Whereas, you know, you get something else where you're like, holy crap, like, like you said, open up your jaw and you're like, wow, that was amazing. That's what I'm looking for. Awesome. How about you, Adam? What, what do you look for in a, in a good finishing move? You guys hit on a lot of the points already. Um, you know, I'm just look just looking at my list. Uh, like Tony said, it either when it's done, it generates a huge pop, or you know it's coming. Like you can just feel the excitement building in the arena. Um, some of them are just uh, like holy shit. You know, like for ECW fans, the a move that would probably get a holy shit chant from the audience. Or uh, just something, uh, yeah, that looks realistic. Like that could really screw you up. And then if you're, I know you guys were 
like me as kids where we would do the finishing moves on each other or our friends or, or whatever and or, or your younger brother and then you'd be grounded for a day or two <laughs> um you know just stuff that looks so cool you want to try it yourself and know that like it, like bob said the believability factor just like wow uh that, that that looks like it really hurts you know to all the all the haters out there who are like oh wrestling's fake and a and a you know you know, it's just like the movies. They have stunt. They don't have stunt people. They're taking these moves, you know, whether they're it's predetermined or not. So, uh, those are a couple of things I look for: just kind of spontaneity, originality, and uh, ability to to pop a crowd and get get them really into the show. Nice, nice. All right. So, without further ado, let's get into our lists. As always, we'll do our. Our bottom tens uh, in groups of five, you know, we'll do 20 through 15, 20 through 16 and then 11 through 10 or um, 15 through 11. And uh, we'll do that kind of quick just to get through these and then we'll spend a little bit more time with our top tens Um, with this particular um, topic. You know, since podcasts are an audio, you know, an audio art form. You know, we can't really we're trusting a lot of people to know what these finishers are because, you know, you're wrestling fans. But if if you're not, you know, we'll do our best to kind of describe these moves ourselves, you know, especially for some moves that are a little bit more obscure and not as well known. You know, we'll try and we'll try and describe these moves as we go along. You know, I'll 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 do some examples with my with my um my first five here we'll start out with our 20 through 16s here um my number 20 is ember moon's eclipse my number 19 is the rko from randy orton my number 18 is the crippler crossface from chris benoit my number 17 uh, is Tetsuya Naito's Destino. And number 16 is The Crossroads from Cody Rhodes. Now, number number 20, The Eclipse from Ember Moon. Um, Ember Moon's one of my favorite female wrestlers out there. She's been injured for a long time. I think she just recently returned. Um, but she's a, she's a damn good wrestler. And I love... Her finishing move. Her finishing move is called the Eclipse. And what it is, it's kind of a it's like a rotating stunner off the top rope. What she does is she like leaps off the top rope, kind of spins into a stunner, and just delivers it onto her opponent. It's really impressive to watch. Um, if you want, please just go out there, look up Ember Moon's Eclipse. It's the first time I saw her do it, I was just like, holy shit, that's, that is impressive. That is impressive. All right, number 19 is the RKO from Randy Orton. If you've been on the internet within the last five, ten years, you know what the hell the RKO is. It's been memed to death. Um, our, the RKO light is, a, is a cutter. You know, originally it was um, popularized by Diamond Dallas Page with his diamond cutter move. Um, but I like the RKO because it just it kind of the from out of nowhere sense of the RKO. I think it's a little bit more 
when Randy Orton does it as opposed to to Diamond Dallas Page doing the diamond cutter. Diamond Dallas Page kind of uh, telegraphed his diamond cutter a little bit more than Randy Orton does his RKO, and that's that's pretty cool. Um, number 18, the Crippler Crossface. It's a submission move that was popularized by Chris Benoit, where um, he kind of puts the opponent's one arm in between his legs, and then he kind of puts his head in between his arms and just kind of wrenches on it upwards. Um, it's a submission maneuver, like I said. Uh, Daniel Bryan does a version of it right now. He calls it the lapel lock. But, you know, Chris Benoit did it years before, known as the Crippler Crossface, one of my favorite submission moves of all time. Use it to finish off Triple H in my favorite WrestleMania main event of all time, which was the triple the triple threat match between him, Benoit, and um and HBK. Yeah, got a soft spot for the Crippler Crossface. That's my number 18. Number 17, the Destino. Um Tetsuo Naito, um leader of the uh Los Ingernobles de Japan in uh in new in new japan pro wrestling his finishing move is pretty freaking cool it's kind of a it's kind of like a twisting he god how can i he kind of goes like into a from a suplex position into a reverse uh into a kind of like a reverse ddt um it you know reverse ddts are are pretty cool if done well. You know, Sting has the the Scorpion Death Drop. That's a version of his. That's a version of the move. But with uh, Naito doing the Destino, it, there's a lot more impact. There's a lot more impact that goes along with it because of him go, going from kind of like a, a suplex position into the DDT itself. So it's really cool to watch. Um, if you've seen it or if not, look up video. It's a, it's a, Really cool move. And finally, uh, my number 16 is the Crossroads, uh, which is Cody Cody Rhodes' um, finishing maneuver. What it is, it's it, you kind of go into like a talking about a reverse DDT. You kind of go from that position, and then he twists it and turns it into kind of a regular DDT almost. It's, it's really impactful. You know, when, when done right, you can tell that, you know, that move would almost paralyze a man. So, yeah, the crossroads from Cody. That's my number 16. That's a good way to start them. Now, my question is, since you're always hanging out in the rafters, can you do any of those moves up there? Uh, Let's see. I can possibly do uh, the eclipse from up there, but I'd probably break my tailbone pretty bad. It's all good. Then you can see a chiropractor like Sam Punk last week. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so I start off my top 20 with a tag team from the land of ECW, and I go with the total elimination from the Eliminators. Um, that's my number 20. Nice. 19, I go with the F5. The F5 from Brock Lesnar. 18, I go with the figure four leg. Lock from the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. 17, I go with the sweet chin music of Shawn Michaels. And number 16, I go with the Tombstone Pile Driver from The Undertaker. 
Uh, Total Elimination was a tag team made up of, well, they were the Eliminators. Um, it was their finishing move. It was a tag team of uh, Perry Saturn and John Cronus, um, who I think were way before their time, like when they came out. Like they were just very innovative. Like you didn't see anything like them at that time. And uh, what they did was they would stand the opponent in the middle of the ring. And Cronus was usually the bigger of the wrestlers and Saturn was the smaller of the two, but the more agile. But Cronus would do like a um, a roundhouse kick to the upper part of the body and Saturn would do like a spinning heel kick to the bottom half of the body. And they would both take them out at the same time. Um, Red Dragon, which is Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, they do a version of it. But I still love the original one by the uh, the Eliminators. It's always been one of my favorites. Um, that starts my 20. Number 19 is good old Brock Lesnar, the F5. Brock Lesnar is a monster of a man, and he could do any finishing move that he wants. But when he came out and he, he decided to debut with the F5, which is basically a fireman's carry where he throws you up on his shoulders, and then he just takes his opponent and just twists them and spins them off of his shoulders to the mat. Um, it just... He does it to anybody from when I was talking about earlier, the believability, like he can throw you and toss you halfway across the ring, whether you're Rey Mysterio to I've seen him do it to the big show and he does his he does it just as effectively. Um, That was one of the things I love about his finishing move is he could do it to anybody. Mark Henry, John Cena, big, small. he, He does it and it looks amazing each and every time. Number 18, I go old school with the man, Ric Flair, uh, the figure four leg drop or figure four leg lock. Um, obviously everybody who knows Ric Flair knows the figure four. Um, I don't think I need to explain it, but he'll grab a leg. He'll do a spinning, um, spinning toe hold on it, grab the other leg, cross it over, make the four as he lays back. And it's, it's a, a knee submission pretty much. Um, that's pretty much been Ric Flair's calling card his entire career. I've always been a big fan of it. Um, other people have come throughout the time. Jeff Jarrett, you know, Buddy Rogers originated it, but Jeff Jarrett would do a version of it. Um, other people throughout time too, but my, my favorite was, uh, Ric Flair's always will be. Um, so that's just my number 18 there. Number 17 is a sweet chin music. Shawn Michaels, another move that was originated first brought out by gentleman, Chris Adams, uh, Shawn Michaels learned it from him back in the AWA days. And from there, he baited into his own. Uh, it, it's just a basic super kick. It's a, it's a crescent kick where Shawn Michaels would call it the tuning of the band, where he would start stomping his foot and run at you and slap his thigh to get the effect of the sound. But um, the way he can, uh, I, Adam mentioned earlier, the spontaneity of it, the way he could just come out of nowhere and just toss it at you. One of my favorites, and we talked about it before, is... Um, Shelton Benjamin doing the springboard off the top off the top rope coming at Michaels and Michaels super kicks him in, in midair. Uh, I'll always remember that. Just that's one of my favorite moves that he does out of there. Um, he he's thrown it many many times before where you just never see it coming. But just the spontaneity has always been one of my favorite parts about that finisher. And then number sixteen, belly to belly pile driver, also known as a tombstone pile driver for the Undertaker. Kane also does the same thing, but. Uh, Just Incredible did a version of it, the That's Incredible, where he would do like a twist to it. But my favorite still, just because it's The Undertaker, the Tombstone Piledriver, it's just his character and the move together, it, you had the believability of it. You know, he's 
pile driving you into the ground. He's the undertaker. So you bought into the character, you bought into the move. Cause that was really one of the first times I remember seeing it, but that's what made it perfect about it. And that's why that move is number 16 for me. Nice. Nice. All right, Adam, how about your uh, 20 through 16? Good choices all around. And yeah, the total elimination. That's a good one. I knew you'd um, love it. I was, I was laboring over <laughs> that one. Um, it didn't quite make my list, but I was really laboring on it. Um, to start me off, uh, I also put the RKO, um, number 19, the Taz mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote the Taz mission. It's also called the, I think it's called the Kacha Hajime. I have no idea how to spell Kata that. Hajime. So, so I put Taz mission. Uh, number 18, um, uh, one one thing I noticed with my list is power moves were very big for me, um, and this was one of the first big power moves I saw. And and uh, he may not have been the first one to do the power bomb, but I always loved Sid Vicious, Sid Justice, his power bomb. Uh, number seventeen, some love for Tony as I go with Tajiri's brainbuster. Nice. Number sixteen, one of my all time favorite heels and my favorite. A lot of neck breakers in professional wrestling, but none is done better than the rude yes. awakening from the late ravishing Rick Rude. So Tony mentioned the RKO to begin with, uh, so I won't describe the move, but um, as we mentioned a couple times now, uh, as the internet has done a tremendous job of uh, the RKO is a very um, spontaneous move, comes out of nowhere, you don't see it coming. Um, I was watching some of these moves uh, this afternoon on YouTube, and just I didn't I didn't know the degree that Randy Orton does the RKO. Like someone was falling off a ladder in one clip I saw, and he managed to to do it. Uh, he combined it with Batista's uh, Batista bomb when they're both in evolution. So th- just a great move. Um, I know uh, when I was. At the peak of my wrestling fandom, uh, we would all watch the pay-per-views. Uh, our friend's brother was not a big fan of Randy Orton. Uh, <laughs> I got to give the devil his due. Um, he's a very talented wrestler, and, and that's a great finisher. Uh, the Taz mission is basically, uh, you want to talk about believable? You walk up behind the guy, and you wrap your arm around his throat, get him in a chokehold, bring him to the ground, wrap your legs around him until they tap. Uh, Taz's ECW uh, gimmick was just a shoot fighter gimmick, and that's you know that that's something you'd see in UFC. Uh, so that was a killer submission move for me. I mean, Taz just had such great moves. He set all that up with the uh, with the suplexes and the, and the Tazplex and and all that, and he just beat the crap out of you, wore you out, and then slapped it on you. Another kind of spontaneous move, easy to pull out of anywhere to get the job done. Uh, number 18, Sid's Powerbomb. Um, not very hard to describe. Um, the head goes between the legs. You pick the guy up about eight feet in the air and just drop him. That's basically the power bomb. It just looks so reckless to me uh, as a young wrestling fan. and I remember uh, Sid would do the last right sign after he would deliver the power bomb when he was uh i first saw him do it in wcw and then when he moved on to wwf as sid justice and became a heel in wwf harvey whippleman would would uh put the uh stethoscope on the guy after he took the power bomb uh so sid was just a very reckless wrestler to begin with uh he looked at in the ring he was kind of that way on the outside of the ring 
It was just a, a great finisher, uh, a great way to mess a lot of guys up, and, and he could do it to some big guys as well. Uh, Tajiri is uh, one of our favorite performers, as we've referenced on the show before. So many great moves, the tree of woe, the, the kicks, the double face kick, so many great moves. But Tajiri usually finished guys off with the brain buster, which was a vertical suplex, and he just basically dropped you right on your head. Hence the name Brain Buster. And of course, many wrestlers over the years doing suplexes or um, this wasn't a finisher, but I used to love what Davey Boy Smith would hold the su- vertical suplex for about 20 seconds before he dropped the guy. This was kind of similar, but yeah, I like the landing better when Tajiri dropped you straight on your head and finishes you off. Uh, again, just so many great moves this guy have has uh, and had over the years and uh very uh, effective finisher. And number 16, again, one of my favorite all-time heels, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, uh, had the Rude Awakening Neckbreaker. Um, again, Neckbreaker is kind of a common wrestling move from the 80s, but he kind of swung it out a little bit, and it just it looked like it hurt. It was it just like really would give you a really bad stinger, uh, pardon the pun, when uh, he would do the Rude Awakening. Um, and he put a lot of guys down with it. Uh, just a very cool-looking move. Um, it was I, I like the name of it, too. So uh, Rick Rude's uh, Rude Awakening uh, rounds up my bottom five. Nice. Yeah, I always used to pop out big for the Rude Awakening. It was, like you said, there's a lot of neck breakers, but there was only one Rude Awakening, and Rick Rude made it. He sold that thing, man. He really did. And even in years after, all right, years after he couldn't wrestle, he, you know, when he did the bodyguard stuff for DX or um, later on for Kurt Henning in WCW, he would still pull it out and he'd get a big pop, even though he was a manager at the time. So I think that hell yes, how like the move was too. Nice. All right. Well, let's move on to our number fifteen through elevens, gentlemen. I'll start off with my number 15. That would be Kazuchika Okada's Rainmaker. And number 14, I have the Styles Clash by AJ Styles. And number 13, I have Rob Van Dam's Five Star Frog Splash. And number 12, I have Samoa Joe's Muscle Buster. And at number 11, I have Lex Luger's Torture Rack. All right, so we'll start off with my number 15. This is The Rainmaker, which is um, Kazuchika Okada's uh, finisher over in New Japan, one of the more protected moves in New Japan right now. It's it's really impressive to see. what It's it's a short-arm clothesline, which I know a lot of people like a short-arm clothesline. What the hell? That That's, that's supposed to be an impressive finisher. Well, yeah, it is when you see how Kazuchika Okada does it. What he does is, you know, if you've seen a short-arm clothesline, especially like, you know, how Jake Roberts used to do one to set up his DDT, you know, they you take the guy's arm, yank him towards you, and you just clothesline him. What Kazuchika Okada does is he kind of wraps you up, unravels you, like he kind of spins you loose, then he brings you in and just clobbers you with with a with a lariat. It is one of the you know I think it's better than uh, Bradshaw's clothesline from Hell. To be honest with you, I think it's probably my favorite clothesline finisher of all time. Yeah, 
Kazuchika Okada's Rainmaker is my number 15. Number 14, I have the Styles Clash, which is AJ Styles' finisher. Um, what AJ Styles does with the Styles Clash is he kind of like he, he kind of puts you up almost for like a power bomb, but he lets your lower he lets your upper half dangle down. And then what he does is he kind of puts his legs over where your arms are and just flapjacks you forward. He kind of jumps up and just flapjacks you forward. Now, this move itself is deceptively dangerous because if the guy who's getting the Styles Clash doesn't position his head correctly while getting it, he can break his neck. And it, it, I think it has been done before where Styles inadvertently injured somebody really, really badly because the person who was taking it didn't didn't position their neck in a way where it was protected. But it is a really cool move to see done. He's done it off the like the middle or top ropes before too, which is even more impressive. But yeah, I let I love the Styles Clash. It's an awesome move. Number 13, I have the five star frog splash by Rob Van Dam. Um it's let's see, I my favorite Frog Splash to look at is D'Lo Brown's Frog Splash. I love the way he performed it. But as far as, like, the move itself and how impactful it is and how much pop it gets from a crowd and how impressive overall it looks, I think the best Frog Splash in the business was was Rob Van Dam's five-star Frog Splash. Nobody got the height that Rob Van Dam got on his Frog Splash. And also... It was kind of cool to see Rob Van Dam kind of reposition himself in midair if he needed to, to kind of uh, finish the move off. It's a really impressive move to watch. And, you know, he still does it to this day. I believe he's he's an impact now. And, yeah, he's still using the five-star frog splash. So, yeah, five-star frog splash, my number 13. Number 12 is the muscle buster, which is the move used by Samoa Joe. Um, I want to preface it's some the muscle buster Joe used like on the independent scene in an impact as opposed to what he used in WWE. What he does is he kind of he, he it's hard to explain. What he does is he he gets the guy up um and he kind of he has his um neck kind of near his like in a suplex position but he takes his legs down and kind of crushes kind of like crunches him up into a ball so like the guy is just kind of like prone in a ball like position on Joe's shoulders and what he does is kind of comes down in a brain buster position like kind of like a it's like an impacted brain buster if you can think about it he used to he the the version he used he used in the independence and on impact, um, it was a lot more impactful looking. It kind of came down on the opponent's neck straight up, whereas when he came into WWE, when he did do it, um, he kind of just fell backwards, and both both him and his opponent kind of fell on their backs. Still kind of cool looking, but not as impactful. But yeah, when seeing the muscle buster done right, it kind of drops your jaw, and you're just like, holy shit, that looked like it hurt. And number 11, I have the Torture Rack from Lex Luger. One of the coolest 
uh, submission moves I think of all time. As we've said before in past episodes, I'm not a big fan of Lex Luger as a performer. He's very limited. Um, yeah, but that torture rack is very impressive. What he does is he gets a guy up onto on he kind of lifts a guy up onto his shoulders, has his head in one arm and his legs in another, and just crushes the guy down in a downward position to where his side is just kind of like bouncing off of what they call those, like the deltoid areas of his, of his neck. And, and, and if you can see where, if you've ever seen Lex Luger, you know, that area is very muscle bound, of course. And he's just like wrenching down on this guy as he's got him in that prone position. And it looks, it, it, it's a very apt name because it looks like torture and yeah, it's just a very impressive move from a not very impressive wrestler. Ah. The torture rack by Lex Luger is my, is my number 11. He's our American hero though. Oh yeah. He'll always be my hero. I thought you were going to go with uh, his forearm smash, but I see how it is. No, no, not not the steel rod uh, forearm. No, 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 no. Got to go with the torture rack, man. I, I, too, love RVD's frog splash because of how you mentioned no one gets the height like that man does. Um, and then how he also, the, the, the opponent will be halfway across the ring and he'll transition himself in midair to land it. Um, but I was always a fan of Eddie Guerrero's a little bit more only because of the reason of Eddie Guerrero was like a perfectionist when you would watch him wrestle. So he would land it the same way every single time. Whereas sometimes RVD mm-hmm. would kind of overshoot a little bit or just land sloppily on you. And, I mean, he would sell the crap out of the move too. But the way that Guerrero hit it perfect every time, that's what made it a little bit more special for me on that one. But still a nice. huge fan of the move. Um, So now already been mentioned by both of you guys. Uh, my number 15 comes in as the RKO. Uh, as past episodes always never let us down, Tony, you and I have number 14, the Styles Clash. Number nice. 13, I go with a top rope maneuver, and that being, he's known now as Pac and AEW, but uh, in the WWE, he was known as Neville, and that was the red arrow finisher he had. Number, nice. That's number impressive. 12, you already mentioned her to start off the list. That is uh, Ember Moon's Eclipse. And then number 11, I go to Japan with Kenta Kobashi, and that is the Burning Hammer. Um, 15, nice. we talked about RKO for both of you guys, Randy Orton. Again, Adam, when he first started talking about it, he mentioned uh, sometimes just the spontaneity of a move uh, where – all of a sudden, the the finisher can come out of nowhere, like you mentioned too, Tony, at the drop of a hat. Um, perfect example with the RKO. Uh, I loved, there's, I, I believe it was WrestleMania, Seth Rollins and Randy Orton, where Seth Rollins goes to do the curb stomp. And he jumps up in the air to do the stomp, and Orton just springs up out of nowhere and catches him midair with the RKO. There was also... Um, 
Evan Bourne, who is Matt Seidel in AEW, he goes to do the shooting star press, and he's halfway into the flip when Orton comes up out of nowhere and RKO's him as well. Just the believability yeah. of the finisher, but the spontaneity of it, where it just came like boom, kind of like how we mentioned the the Shawn Michaels super kick. That's one of my favorite things about it, and that's why. I put it on there. Number 14, like you mentioned, the Styles class, AJ Styles. Um, again, like you said, it, he lifts you up into a power bomb, drops the lower half, so you're pretty much upside down. He tucks your your arms with his legs, and then he flapjacks boards, rolls you over. A lot of times he does it right into the pin, which is pretty impressive too. But like you said, it could hurt somebody at the drop of a hat just if they don't tuck themselves the right way, but it's still – he pulls it off. He makes it look devastating, but at the same time, he's such a safe wrestler that it's fun to watch him do it. Uh, 13, I go with the the red arrow off. That's Neville slash Pac. Um, if you haven't seen it, he, he climbs up top of the ropes, and he does pretty much a corkscrew um, shooting star press. I was always a fan of Billy Kidman, the shooting star press. Like You would see him do it, and you're like, holy crap, that's awesome. But Neville throws a corkscrew split like a f- in, into it before he does a shooting. And just the way he does that, holy crap, man. It, it's, it's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely a lot of fun to watch that move. Um, 12, you mentioned uh, her earlier. Ember Moon is a lot of fun to watch. I remember seeing her as Athena when she was over in, uh, in Ring of Honor. But she does her her finisher, like you mentioned. It's so much fun. Like you said, the, the opponent will be standing, and she does pretty much a diving corkscrew as well, and she lands it with a stunner. Very, very impressive. Um, just the way that she pulls it off. Not a lot of wrestlers can do it. But like I said, the believability of it is so much fun. And then the last one I got right here, number 11, is Kenta Kobashi does the burning hammer. You just mentioned your boy Lex Luger. I know he's one of your favorites, even though you don't want to admit it. But Kenta Kobashi puts you into the torture rack as well. Same position. But while he has you on the torture rack, he falls sideways and drops you on your head. So it's like going from the torture rack move to an inverted Death Valley driver. Uh, If you remember Perry Saturn, his finisher was a Death Valley driver. So he just grabbed you up on his shoulders, slam you on the side while he falls to the side, and you land on your neck slash back, upper back. This guy, he puts you in the torture rack, slams you, but you land right on your neck. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's amazing. Uh, I guess the move is just so devastating. He's only done it a total of seven times, but watch all seven of them because they're so much fun to watch. And that right there is my number 11. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the Bernie hammer, dude. It's like, like when Adam earlier, like (laughs) you're, I was doing the research of it and I'm, I'm just looking up these, watching the videos of some of these and, some of them still like you watch these finishers and, and you're like, Oh damn. Like that's the response you want to get. Like, Holy crap. Like, and that's exactly yeah. when I saw the burning hammer, I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, and I'm 37 years mm-hmm. old and you're still doing like that. When you see it, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. All right, Adam, how about your, uh, 15 to 11 before i get to him i have an honest question for both of you about our buddy lex luger did he ever do the torture rack in the wwf because i don't remember him doing it i don't think he did i don't remember him doing it because tony mentioned the uh the forearm and um i remember bob Bob mentioned the forearm bob mentioned the forearm forearm and 
God, well, no wonder, you know, like Tony said, that's probably the coolest thing about him. And, and they did, he, he was so bad that he couldn't, he didn't even do that. I wonder what that was about. Yeah. I mean, if, if he could have gotten Yokozuna up in the torture rack, that would have been really fucking impressive. Yeah. That would have been a game changer. Maybe, maybe it would have won SummerSlam 94 by uh, pinfall. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I'll I'll go I'll go into a good wrestler um, that was mentioned already. Uh, <laughs> I hope Lex isn't listening. Um, yeah, I love how we're just slagging Lex Luger back and forth. That's awesome. We're still getting uh, last week out of our system. Uh, number number fifteen, as Tony mentioned earlier, I have the Crippler Crossface. Number fourteen, uh, the high flying Macho Man Randy Savage flying elbow drop. Number 13, uh, a lot of good spine busters out there, but double A Arn Anderson's is my favorite. Number 12, uh, from the land of ECW, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow's Greetings from Asbury Park. And number 11 um, is uh, Goldberg's Jackhammer. So uh, I'll start with the crossface. You mentioned that earlier. Um, that is quite possibly the the most spontaneous finishing move of all time because basically yeah uh benoit used to practically get you in an arm bar and and just drop you at at the drop of a hat and all of a sudden it was on and and uh it it looked like a true wrestling uh another kind of mma type hold where someone would be tapping in four or five seconds if, if it got on him in an mma bout uh so um just one of my favorite submission moves, if not my favorite, just just again because it came out of nowhere and it, and it looked legit. Uh, number fourteen, the first time I saw Macho Man Randy Savage drop a flying elbow on somebody, as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, kid two doors down the street. I said, "Hey, let's wrestle." Well, I'll be, and he wanted to be Hogan, and I jumped off the couch and did Randy Savage's flying elbow to him and. The elbow, I think, landed right on his neck. Uh, I'm glad the kid can still walk today because um, I, <laughs> I feel bad about it now. But I just had to try it out. I, I, we, uh, when I go on family vacations, I duplicate the move, you know, jumping from bed to bed. So um, just a lot, of, a lot of folks, the flying elbow over the years. I think Shawn Michaels comes close with his, but Savage's was, was the best. He just always landed it perfectly and he got such air when he did it and at the time you know people did stuff off the top rope in the wwf back then but you know snooker had the the big splash but no one was doing a flying elbow like that that was kind of cutting edge for randy savage's time so uh number 13 as i said a lot of guys have good spine busters uh, steve austin comes to mind i love ron simmons how he kind of pushes you down but the most stiff and powerful looking one belongs to arn anderson basically just picks the guy up, uh, slams him right on his spine, basically. But he spins when he does it. It's not just a straight down. He spins around a little bit and then brings you down for that extra impact. Uh, Arn also had a great DDT. Um, he had a lot of good finishers, but Spinebuster is my favorite. Um Greetings from Asbury Park, number 12. Bam Bam Bigelow, when he was in WWF a couple times, and WCW, I think, did the... Uh, the flying headbutt off the top rope as his finisher, but in ECW, he finished a lot of guys off with greetings from Asbury Park, which started out kind of like a scoop slam, but it was a sit down slam. 
um, and his Bam Bam's legs would would uh, come all the way out. Then the guy would land on his head and neck in a sit down slam position. Always really cool looking to me. Um, I don't know. Did, did he beat Taz with that move? What the time he beat Taz, or was that when he fell through the ring? That's when they fell through the ring. Okay. But uh, he did beat a lot of guys at ECW with that move, and it was just a very unique, cool-looking slam to me uh, for really – it was a good finisher for an intimidating-looking wrestler. I know when he went back to WCW after he left ECW, uh, he was doing that move quite a bit. I think Bam Bam could have been – well, he could have been bigger in either of the two big federations. They just never knew what to do with him. And number 11 is probably one of the most electric, I'm not saying electrifying, I'm saying electric moves uh, in the history of WCW, and that would be the jackhammer from Goldberg. I, uh, you know, wrestling fans, especially WCW fans, will never forget when he gave that jackhammer to Hollywood Hogan at the Georgia Dome, 45,000 people just going ape when he landed that on Hogan. I think some of it was just because they liked the move, but I think just the disbelief that he actually beat Hogan clean in the middle of the ring. And it actually worked for Hogan brother. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Goldberg, for those that don't know what a jackhammer is, it's a standing vertical suplex and in midair, he kind of turns it into a power slam and comes down. It just looks really stiff. It looks really powerful. I always have an appreciation for guys changing the move up, you know, in the middle of it. Um, it just added to Goldberg's mystique. Again, Goldberg was no th- frills. He's never going to be confused with Ricky Steamboat or or uh, Chris Jericho or great scientific wrestlers like that. He was just a bruiser and, and a badass, and he just went out and kicked ass for a couple minutes, and he was done. But the, the jackhammer is the exclamation point on the character, and that rounds out uh, my bottom ten. Nice. But yeah, come on, Adam. You know that Taz was never going to sell greetings from Asbury Park for Bam Bam Bigelow back in ECW. Let's go. Come on. Two two things, two things about what Adam <laughs> mentioned. Um, one being the jackhammer. Um, like we talked about believability. Uh, you would see that him that do that finisher and like like Brock Lesnar with the F five when he picked up the Big Show and did the. the uh, the jackhammer of the big show i was just like holy shit like you'll you'll always remember that moment because you never thought he could do it you know but he did it and i love i love me macho's elbow drop i always do but one of the closest ones to it that was always impressive to me is uh kairi sane i don't know if you've seen her do the elbow drop lately um she just left the wwe but i love her elbow drop the way she would throw it. it was just like a technician at work with that elbow drop it was beautiful yeah, she put her all into that drop, man. That was that was really impressive. But yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of like Macho Man's where she gets a lot of air, but I love how she like kicks her legs out to kind of like get more impact on the elbow itself. Yeah, it was really cool to watch. And if Bigelow had done the greetings from Asbury Park through the ring, he would have beat Taz cleanly. Yeah, no one beats maybe, yes. maybe. <laughs> Taz would have kicked out at two and three quarters. He, he would have actually kicked out before one. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. We're going to start with our top tens, yeah, and we'll we'll start with my number ten. Going back to the 
going back to the land of the rising sun, Japan, and I'm going to go with Mitsuharu Misawa's Emerald Flosion. That is my number 10. Now, the Emerald Flosion, if you haven't seen it, it it's kind of, he starts out with a scoop slam and gets he gets the wrestler kind of like into a almost god it's hard to like almost like a side slam kind of position but he still has him kind of like upwards like in a scoop slam position and he just drives the guy down straight onto it onto the back of his head it's a brutal move man and Mitsuharu Misawa was a badass one of my favorite wrestlers from japan I, I go back and i watch some of his matches on youtube and the guy was a technician he was also one of the hardest hitters in the history of japan and that's saying something mitsuharu misawa who he unfortunately died in the ring he uh he suffered what what they later would say was an internal decapitation where mm-hmm. um his spine just kind of dislocated during a match and it killed him instantly. Um, but he, he left behind a great field of work and his finisher, the, the Emerald Flosion is really dynamic and it would send those Japanese crowds crazy. And you know how reserved the Japanese crowds are, but when he hit that move, they would mark like nobody's business. And uh, if you haven't seen an Emerald Flosion, again, check it out on YouTube. It's right there. Your jaw will drop. I I, I guarantee it. Yeah, that's my number 10. Mitsuharu Masawa's Emerald Flosion. That's a good one. I, I, I always remember seeing uh, that him pull off that finisher, and it's just like you said, it's a special one. It's so much fun to watch. Um. My number 10 has already been mentioned by both of you, I believe, as well. And that is uh, my boy Chris Benoit with the Crippler Crossface. Um, like, like Adam mentioned, probably one of my favorite submissions of all time uh, can be thrown out of nowhere. Uh, like you mentioned at the WrestleMania, Tony, where he got Triple H to tap with it. I'll always remember when, when he had him in there and Triple H like goes to grab the rope and he reverses it and pulls him back into the center of the ring. I remember you and I, I you and I are yeah. like crazy. I also remember him um, about to get choke slammed by the big show and he's up in the air. And when he's about to get choke slammed, like Adam mentioned, it's the spontaneity, but he just pulls big show's arm and throws him into the cross face from there. And um, just Chris Benoit himself, he just sold it. The intensity he would put on his face and the look and, you know, the torque he would put on it. I'm sure he could have put like maybe like two pounds of pressure on it. But the way you actually saw him and his body and the way he he sold it, it looked like he was doing like a thousand pounds of pressure and he's going to snap the guy's neck and arm at the same time. But um, that that's what one of my favorite things about the move was. And it was just very impressive. I love this diving headbutt and everything like that. But to me, I'll always remember Chris Benoit with the Crippler crossface. And that's my number 10. Nice. Yeah, it's classic, man. It's one of the best submission moves of all time. And I like that Daniel Bryan's kind of keeping it alive. I know WWE doesn't want anything to do with Chris Benoit anymore, understandably. But the fact that Daniel Bryan kind of keeps that move Mm -hmm. alive is really cool. All right, Adam, how about your number 10? I'll just tack on too that uh, I, I thought the Chris Benoit episode of uh, Dark Side of the Ring was really well done oh, and amazing. and uh, the ending was the ending was just 
uh, I, I was I was tearing up at the ending. Um, so, uh, any wrestling fans out there uh, want to get more insight into that whole story? Uh, that's 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 a recommended that watch. Whole, that whole series. Um, is a I don't have. Watch. This... Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Uh, that... I can't wait for season three, and I hate when I see on my Facebook when they say that the topics are revealed. That's all a big joke. I'm going to stop <laughs> doing the clickbait thing. I swear to God. Yeah. Um, so number ten, um, I believe this move. I'm going to guess. I know this wrestler got really over in Japan before he uh, got over in the U.S. Um, it was just an awesome move from an awesome wrestler named Mike Awesome, and that would be the Awesome Bomb. Um. It was basically a power bomb with a lot tacked on to it. Uh, you would get the guy in the, in the uh, well, my, my, the first time I ever saw it, uh, Mike Awesome got Masato Tanaka in the power bomb position, picked him up, and then ran across the ring and just power bombed him over the top rope onto a table. And I'm like, holy fuck, I love this ECW that I just started watching. Amazing. Uh, him and Tanaka, you know, were kind of part-time. They come from Japan and put on some show-stopping matches. And then, as we mentioned in our ECW show, um, he was brought in full-time to be their next champion after Taz left for WWF. Um, he did the, uh, he, did he, uh, did he do the awesome bomb to Taz or not? I'm trying um, to remember. Oh, how they got him out of there? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think th- no, 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 no. He did, he the, did splash the splash off the top. Okay, of yeah, that I couldn't, I couldn't recall uh, if he did the. But the, irregardless, he hit that move on a lot of on a lot of people. I saw a clip uh, online of him doing it from the corner, from the top rope, where he also did the power bomb. But instead of obviously running, he was from the top rope. He basically did uh, Scott Hall's razor's edge to the guy. He just got him in that vertical position and just released from the top rope and the guy flew halfway across the ring and landed on his back and his head. It was, it was a thing of beauty. Um, we mentioned a couple of times, just what a talented, unique performer mm-hmm. Mike Awesome was and how he should have been a bigger star uh, in the U S um, and awesome bomb is just one of many reasons why uh, uh, he should have been bigger than he was. One of the most talented big men I've ever seen uh, start off my top 10 list. Nice. Yeah, Mike Awesome definitely did have a good power bomb, and that kind of segues into my number nine. I know I gave uh, The Undertaker some crap last week. It when was talking bizarre, about Tony. I agreed with you on that 100%. Yeah, when talking about his American badass character and how much I hated it, which I did. I did too. But, but when he did come back as the American badass, he came back with the move that was very, very impressive and was impressive enough to make my top 10. And that is the Undertaker's last ride powerbomb. Um, basically, the, the last ride is, is just a powerbomb, but it's got a little bit of extra oomph to it. What he does is he, got, he puts the guy up into a powerbomb position. And then he lifts him up about an extra, like, six inches to a foot and then just slams them down pretty much with his entire might. It's really cool to watch. And I I think the first time I ever saw The Undertaker do the last ride when he came back, I believe it was the X-Pac. And 
Yeah, it was when he did that, I was like, holy shit. I was not anticipating The Undertaker pulling out that move because, you know, The Undertaker was not a powerbomb guy before he came back as the American badass character. He would do his choke slam and he would do, you know, the uh, the tombstone, but you never really saw him do a powerbomb. And when he did that powerbomb, it was it was one of the most impactful power bombs I'd ever seen. And yeah, while I hated the character, the re the whole reinvention, whatever that last drive, that last drive power bomb is something to behold. So yeah, that's my number nine, the last ride from the undertaker. It is the beauty of a move. I actually love when he, to, um, there was one time yes. that he did it to a Taka Michinoku. That was one of my favorites where he just like, like you thought, you thought he was going to spike him through the <laughs> ring. It was amazing. <laughs> Good old Taka. Did they, re- did they replay it like 15 times? Like when he got eliminated from the Royal Rumble? I, and I, he love, broke his face. I love that. That was hysterical. I don't think so. In the way Jerry Lawler just kept going, <laughs> can we see Taka again? Can we see Taka again? It's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> Just randomly. My number nine was already mentioned by Tony earlier, and that's going down to the land of Japan with the Rainmaker from Mr. Okada. Um, I was never a fan of the uh, the clothesline from Hell, you like you mentioned from from Bradshaw, just because it's like okay, it's a clothesline. I mentioned earlier the heart punch, and I was just like okay, it's just a clothesline. I don't get it. I did love Stan Stan Hansen's lariat because you know he. You would see Stan Hansen, you're like, wow, that's a one big dude. And just the way he would throw it was a beautiful thing. But when you see uh, Okada do the Rainmaker, um, I got to see him do it at All In. And it's just, it's it's awesome. It just like you said, he grabs you from behind. He'll stand from behind you, grabs your wrist, twists you, and does like a ripcord lariat to you. And just the oomph that he puts into that clothesline when he hits you because it's such a short arm clothesline it's just amazing half the time the the opponent goes spinning in the air because he hits him so hard it's it's definitely a fun move to watch especially seeing it live um not sure if you've seen it before adam but it's definitely a good move to check out but uh that for me is my number nine tony mentioned a lot of it earlier but uh my number nine is the rainmaker by okada definitely will check that out uh, I'll stick with the clothesline theme, uh, my number nine, uh, but it's a tag team clothesline uh, from one of my favorite tag teams of all time, and that would be the Brett the Hitman Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart's Heart Attack clothesline. Uh, nice. This move is uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart was the strong man of the team, so he would pick the guy up in the middle of the ring by the legs, um, and so his head was over Nightheart's head. Bret Hart would hit the ropes and hop up and do like a sit down clothesline, like a close. You know, everyone did clotheslines in the late eighties, early nineties when the Hart Foundation was wrestling. Everybody did clotheslines, but this was one like I'd never seen before. Like Bret is literally sitting down when he's clotheslining the guy, and it, it it did. That was one of the first moves I saw where I'm like, oh shit, that looks like it really hurts, man. I wanted to just get somebody strong and do that move to somebody over and over. It was. Very cool to watch. It just uh, the thing that was so cool about the Hearts as a tag team. Their their styles were completely mm-hmm. different. I mean, one hundred eighty degrees. Brett was, you know, he was agile and he did a lot of wrestle. You know, he was a wrestler, um, and just a great 
you know, worker and Nightheart was the powerhouse and, and it, it just worked together. And of course they worked together in Stampede Wrestling and Nightheart was uh, Bret Hart's uh, brother-in-law. So they, they had a lot of closeness, won a few tag belts. Uh, and that was, that was their feature move. And again, that was one of the coolest moves I saw um, from the tag teams uh, from my early days of watching wrestling. Um, and I know, uh, I believe uh, when uh Davey Boy Smith's son wrestled the WWF for a while. He teamed up with Tyson Kidd, and I believe they did that move as a tribute as well. So a few other teams adopted. I think Doring and Roadkill even did it, if I'm not mistaken, in ECW a couple times. I love Doring and Roadkill. So it, yes, it's it's been uh, it's it's been copied many times in tribute, and I, I don't think that's an accident. So um, that's my number nine, the heart attack clothesline. Nice. Yeah, whenever I hear about the heart attack clothesline, it always makes me think of uh, the Vince McMahon story that Bret Hart says um, about when they were at a strip club one time <laughs> and Vince was dr- Vince was drunk as hell and all like all the wrestlers were there and Vince was like demanding that all the wrestlers um, give them their fin- give him their finishing moves. Um, there, right there at the bar in the strip club. And it came around and he comes up to, uh, you know, he, he, he got like, you know, the full Nelson from Hercules and all this other kind of shit, you know, Hogan gave him a leg drop and all this other shit. How did Vince but, get um, up to the leg drop though? Oh, he did. He did. I don't he, I he, can't he, imagine. Oh, sorry. He no sold it, but he goes up, he goes up to Brett. And, and, uh, you know, the Hart Foundation was still a team at this point. And he's like, all right, it's your guy's turn. And, and Brett's like, I don't know if you want to do that, Vince. And he's like, no, God damn it. You give me the goddamn finisher right now. And there you go. Night Hart picks him up. And Brett says he, he puts some like extra mustard into the clothesline to the point where, where, um, Vince hit the floor and he cracked the back of his head onto the floor of the bar and really got messed up. But yeah, whenever I hear about the heart attack, that's what I always think about is, is a uh, night heart and bread heart giving it to Vince in a strip club. That's I would have paid to have seen that. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, we're, we're lap dances going on in the background at this point, or it was, oh, I'm sure probably or any of those, the Godfather pose. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe five year, five or ten years nice. later, yeah, down the line. Vince was always thinking business, even back then. Exactly. All right. So we're moving to our number eights, boys. And my number eight, Bob already mentioned it. It's Brock Lesnar's F5. Um Talk about impactful moves, man. When I first saw Brock Lesnar do the F5 to somebody, I think the first time I saw it, he did it to either Spike Dudley or Jeff Hardy. I forget who it was, but it was a smaller guy. And to just see Brock Lesnar take another human being and basically toss the guy over his head like a pizza, it it's... What else can you say? But goddamn, that is that is nuts. 
And the fact, like Bob said, he can do it with smaller guys, and he can also do it with like four or five hundred pounders. He's done it to the Big Show. He's done it to Mark Henry. You know, he it's whoever he does it to. It doesn't matter. It looks awesome and it looks like it fucking hurts and only a certain guy can do that only a certain freaking nature can pull off that move and that freaking nature is brock lesnar yeah the f5 definitely my number eight that's definitely a good one sir i like that one a lot um my number eight uh again i remember seeing this for the first time at a ring of honor show with my brother and um it comes from Roderick Strong, who's in NXT now. But Roderick Strong has a move called the End of Heartache. It's a he lifts you up for a vertical suplex, but when he has you up in the air, he drops you into a double knee backbreaker. Um, so that way your back is hitting his knees while he drops to the floor from the suplex position. I'm not sure if you've seen Cedric Alexander. He does a version called the lumbar check recently. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. But Alexander does it from a backdrop position. He'll, he'll come up behind. He does a backdrop and he just hits you in with the knees. Roderick Strong does it from suplex. Like Adam mentioned earlier, the British Bulldogs uh, suplex where he holds you up in the air for like five minutes before he drops you. Strong does the same thing, but from that position, he goes into this double knee backbreaker, and it's just impressive as hell. You see it, and you're like, holy shit, that was amazing. It's one of those moves where you just get your jaw dropped every time you see it, and the crowd responds to it as well. It's an amazing finisher. Uh, The end of heartache, Roderick Strong. That's my number eight. Yeah, I've seen him do it. He he pulls it out every now and again and in NXT. It's it's yeah, but it it is very impressive. That very good pick, Bob. Very good pick. All right, Adam. How about your number eight? All right, I'm sticking with tag teams. I'm sticking with clotheslines. Uh, that would be the Road Warriors Doomsday Device. Um, pretty simple move, but it's it looks cool as hell. Uh, animal would pick the guy up, put him on his shoulders, you know, like you carry your kids around when they don't want to walk anymore, uh, back to the car from the fair, and you put them on your shoulders. Uh, he basically walks the guy over. Hawk uh, shows you why he's named Hawk. He climbs the top rope and just hits you with a stiff-ass clothesline, and the guy pretty much topples over Animal's shoulders and, and does a forward roll onto the mat and gets pinned. Uh, I, I saw... Uh, the Road Warriors wrestle live, for, I don't know, three, four times. And when it was time animal to do the move, Animal would always do a double thumbs up to the crowd, let them know it's coming. And that meant get your ass up off your seat so you could see this. And all the uh, disposable cameras would be clicking and all the flashes would be going off when Hawk came off that top rope. But that was one move that I saw in many uh, wrestling events I went to that everyone just got to their feet and had to see it. Um, and, and for good reason, because as we mentioned during our tag team episode, uh, the Road Warriors uh, in some some size are the best tag team ever. But they've they've got to be right up there for everybody. Um, and again, their whole shtick was you know they they come to kick ass and and that's how they finish you off. I think I always thought the Decapitator would have been a good name for the for that move too, because it it just looks like. The, you, you see it for the first time. Like, he's going to take his head off when he does that. So 
Uh, one of the best tag team moves of all time. Uh, the Doomsday Device is my number eight. Real quick, for our young fans at nice. home, can you tell us what a disposable camera is? <laughs> uh, you would go to the front desk at uh, at a at a place we all work, Jewel Asco, and uh, it was a camera which is probably bigger than your cell phone. <laughs> and there were thirty pictures on it, and you you turn this little wheel after you snapped each picture. Shout out, shout out to our boy Rich Tito, yep. who could probably still Came- tell us what aisle it's located in. Do you think they? St- I, I don't know, but around? we could ask them next time. <laughs> Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, it's plastic cameras preloaded with film. That's oh, those were the well, days, boys. Those we're were the to, days. Yeah, now we're gonna have to explain what <laughs> film is too. <laughs> yeah, right. One hour processing. What? What did you? Why did you need an hour to get pictures? Uh, anyway. All right, so where where we at? We're at number seven, correct? Yep. All right, my number seven is probably my, you know, I've been talking about a lot of good submission moves, but this submission move, in my opinion, takes the cake. I'm talking about Chris Jericho's Lion Tamer. That is my number seven um, finishing move of all time. As we all know, Chris Chris Jericho um, has been in the business now for 30 years. He just was doing his 30-year celebration of Jericho on AEW and everything. Um, and over, over time, he has had a lot of different finishers. He's reinvented himself. Right now, he uses, uh, what is it, the Judas Elbow, which is a spinning just basically a spinning back elbow. Um, he had the cold breaker, which is kind of like a knee face crusher. Uh, he's used the lion salt too, which is a springboard moon salt off the, off the middle rope. Um, and he had the walls of Jericho when he came into WWE, which was basically just the Boston crap. But what really caught my eye with Chris Jericho and he does use this move every now and again still he does dust it off it's the lion tamer and that's kind of like he kind of goes for a boston crab a little bit but he he goes a little bit higher elevation to the point where he's putting all the pressure instead of on your back he's putting his knee right by the side of your head and he's putting all the pressure down onto your neck and it's just a painful move to watch and it, what's really impressive is he was able to do that move not with just like cruiserweights he was able to do it on some bigger guys too and it was just just as painful watching him do it to to those guys as he was to the smaller guys um yeah the line tamer look it up if you if you don't know what it looks like it looks like you know talk about a torture if you if you're in that move you're you're crying uncle like within 2 seconds you have to be cuz that that just looks like he's just he's just about to break you in half like literally yeah the lion tamer from Chris Jericho that's my number that's 7 good one sir and it's also a great wonderful segment into my number 7 which is also a move that can break you in half but it's also a move 
that it's a submission maneuver. And that comes from the last female on my list. That is the bank statement by Sasha Banks. Um, Sasha Banks Uh will come up from behind you and do um, the kind of like the backstabber that Carlito used to do, where she grabs you and does a, a double knee backbreaker to you as you fall to the ground. But then as you fall to the ground, she holds on to you and transitions that maneuver as she rolls you over into the crossface maneuver. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I think I just did a pretty damn good way of explaining it. But like I said, she grabs you from the back, flips you over, puts you in the crossface, and she just puts that torque right on your back. Charlotte Flair would sell it and like no other person. Um, it was pretty damn impressive to see. And uh, for me, that's one of my favorite finishers, especially when it comes to submissions. So that for me is my number seven, Sasha Banks, the bank statement. Yeah, I don't. Did you watch Hell in a Cell last night? Uh, the pay per view, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but she, yeah, well, she did. You know, I, I was the reason why we didn't record last night is because I had a migraine. And I was watching the the pay per view last night, kind of like in a migraine haze. But she broke out the bank statement on Bailey last night in their match, but she used, um she used a chair to kind of like emphasize it. She put Bailey's head like through the, through the, through the, the chair. And while she was wrenching back on the bank statement, she was kicking the chair down. So it was like going like, 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 like putting pressure, like impacting uh, Bailey's neck. It was really fucking cool. And, my favorite bank statement of all time, probably you mentioned Charlotte when she, uh, when they went out to the crowd and they, there was a guardrail there. That's where I met Charlotte sold it like no other. Cause she's got that extension to her back where she could just arch it like that. And it it was just like, she, she tucked her through the guardrail and put her in and it was like, wow. You know, that that was very impressive. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good pick, man. The bank statement. That's awesome. All right, Adam. Yeah, Mike, awesome. Awesome bomb. Yes. All right, Adam, how about your number seven? Some of, some of these ladies sound like they may need a chiropractor yep. pretty soon. We're open tomorrow. And we know a good one. So there you go. <laughs> um, this next move would probably be uh, more appropriate for plastic surgeon if, if you ever fall victim to it. Um, as Tony mentioned with Jericho, uh, this next uh, wrestler, you guys mentioned him already in, in his five-star frog splash, but uh, Rob Van Dam had so many innovative and creative moves, and I decided to go a little different and uh, put the Van Terminator as my number seven. Um, basically, uh, in his ECW days, uh, Van Dam's manager, the great Bill Alfonso, would hold the chair in front of Rob. Uh, Rob would get the guy you know, lay practically laying against the turnbuckle sitting in a sitting position. Alfonso would grab a chair, stick it in the guy's face. And Rob Van Dam would do the also simple task of going to the opposite corner and jumping all the way across the ring and kicking the guy in the face with a double face kick. Uh, I don't know how you make that, uh, how, you know, that doesn't hurt. I'm sorry. Um, And it's just, uh, just an amazing showcase for what a, talented individual Rob Van Dam is as a wrestler. Just, I never, you know, ECW 
showed me a lot of things that I haven't seen before. And that's just, that's just another one. Um, I mean, the guy could get serious air. You guys mentioned the frog splash and there was the split legged moon salts, the leg drops onto the tables. I mean, the guy's got more frequent flyer miles than most uh, snooty businessmen who, who travel for a living. I mean, just what an amazing performer. And, and I just, Always thought that was a cool move. I think in his later years when he didn't have a manager, he just put the chair there himself. But I want to give Bill Alfonso a little shout out too. But uh, one way or the other, uh, just tremendously athletic and and killer looking move. I mean, you know, I I I I always kind of grimace when I see him do it because it's like, how can that not hurt getting <laughs> kicked in the face with the chair? So, uh, number seven for me is the Van Terminator. Nice. Yeah, the Van Terminator, yeah, like you said, the first time I saw it, just the way you just flew across the ring, it was impressive to watch. It's, whew, I, I remember they were hype. RVD himself was hyping the movies like, Watch, watch such and such a pay per view. I'm going to break something out. You guys are not going to believe it. And everybody was like, "Oh yeah, well, what can RVD really do that you know hasn't he hasn't already done?" And then he breaks that thing out, and it was like, "Woo, yeah." And I, I hate the fact that Shane McMahon kind of stole it from him uh, because RVD he he perfected that fucking thing. So yeah, I, I was Van Terminator. Getting- yeah, I was just going to mention that. I remember the I think uh Shane broke it out for his match against Vince and he did it but I, he didn't get the same air. Really he just it. barely made it to the trash He's done can. It a few times where, since then. Yeah. Whereas Rob Van Dam, if he really tried, I think could have gone all the way out yeah. of the ring. <laughs> so Was the first yeah. time he did it against uh Bobby Riggs? It was. Yeah, it was. Scotty mm-hmm. Anton? Yeah. Scotty Anton, yeah. Only a real... He put that, that guard... Oh, yeah. Sorry. Only an American no. male could take a move <laughs> like that. <laughs> no, it's a, he put he put that garbage can, like, right by his face, and then he goes on to the opposite. Turnbull goes, like, what the hell is he going to do? And then, then he did it, and the crowd just went nuts. That Yeah, the Van Terminator, dude. That's a good pick. That's a very good pick. He didn't use it very much, but right. when he mm-hmm. did, it was special. Absolutely. All right. So we're on to number six, boys. And my number six, um, first time I saw it, like a lot of these moves, the first time I saw it, my mind was blown because I didn't think this kind of move was possible. And But it was. It's kind of a gimmick move. You have to set it up for it to happen. Um, but when it's executed correctly, God damn, it's, it's awesome. It is awesome. And I'm talking about the Canadian uh-huh. destroyer, the Canadian destroyer, which was introduced by PD Williams. Um, if you, if you don't know what the Canadian destroyer is, basically what it is, is a sunset flip into a pile driver mm. and you use the moment. You, the the guy doing the move 
uses the momentum he has from the sunset flip into flipping his opponent over into a pile driving position. God damn, the first time I saw the Canadian destroyer, I I swear to god, I I redid the video like 10 times just to see if I was look, watching it correctly. I was like, how the fuck did he do that? Oh my god, it was it was one it was probably like the first viral video I ever saw because it, it, it premiered like pretty, pretty like, what was it like early two thousands, mid two thousands. The first time I saw the Canadian destroyer and yeah, it, it, it was just something to behold, man. It was awesome. And yeah, every time I see it, not like there's a few wrestlers now who still do it. I know, um, Adam Cole does, has a version that he does, but you know, Petey Williams doing that first Canadian destroyer, man, that was, that was something else. So yeah. Number six, the Canadian destroyer. And, and it's funny. Cause, uh, like you said, a- Adam Cole does the Panama sunrise now, which is his version of it where he jumps off the top rope. But, uh, Petey Williams to this day will always come out and just be like, Oh yeah, that was move. That was a nice move. You just did. Oh, but remember I did it better. Cause I originated it. Like he's very bitter about it, but it's still pretty funny. Um, my number six yeah. is already mentioned by you, Tony, and that's coming from the land of Japan with my boy Tetsu Naito, uh, the Destino. The Destino, is, like you mentioned, is a fun, fun move uh, to see. He'll come up from behind you, put you in a half Nelson, and then he himself will do a somersault flip into a reverse DDT. Uh, when you see it all come into one motion, one move, that's just like how you mentioned the Canadian destroyer. Holy shit. Like where the hell did that just come from? Uh, the Destino. And then um, I think Kevin Kelly is actually the announcer now. The way he sells it when he sees it and just screams Destino this is so much fun as well because it adds so much more to the move itself. But it's uh, it's definitely a, a fun move to watch. Um, Adam, I'm not sure if you've seen the Destino, but if you got a chance, check that one out. It's definitely a good one. Tony mentioned a lot about it earlier, but that's my number six, Tetsunaido, the Destino. Yeah, it's a cool move. Yeah, it's wouldn't have made my list if it wasn't, man. Dustino, man, it's a Michael, hell of Michael, a move. Yeah, so I don't know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if I saw Michael McMichael do the Dustino, he would be like, he would have been my number one WCW wrestler <laughs> of all time. There. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like I got some YouTubing to do. So let's just get together uh, after this and just in go the meantime, watch the meantime. Yeah, I guess so. Our yeah, that Where doesn't sound bad uh, to me. Island uh, Lake. My number. Pick me up, Tony. Yeah. Well, you would have to. Yeah, you would have to meet me, and then we would have to go up there. All right. Well, that sounds good. And I, I believe I have on my, I have a working VHS player and we could watch uh, the first time this move was introduced 30 years ago. Um, it was mentioned by Bob and Tony mentioned a different move from this individual, but 30 years ago, this mysterious undertaker made his debut in the WWF at the Survivor Series. And uh, he was on, um, I believe it's Ted DiBiase's team and the, First beginning of the match, a brave little Coco Beware <laughs> decided to take on The Undertaker. 
threw a few right hands, <laughs> went running towards the man with a flying headbutt in the corner, missed it. Taker picked him up and drove his ass into the ground, and I thought Coco was paralyzed. And I, I was 12 at the time, and I was like, oh, no, Coco is paralyzed, because the move looked that real to me. It was the Tombstone pile driver, and Taker's been finishing off wrestlers for 30 years with it ever since. Um, I remember, I think it was the following Survivor Series where he fought Hulk Hogan, and Ric Flair uh, slipped the chair in the ring behind the referee's back, and uh, he nailed Hogan with the Tombstone on the t- I thought Hogan was hurt. And again, I know Ho- uh, Undertaker took some shit for that because yeah. Hogan said he was too stiff with it. And and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, Hogan no- doesn't job to anybody. So you really got to sell the damn move, to, you know, so people believe, oh, wow, this is effective. And it put down the immortal Hulk Hogan. So that would I, that was a crack right there. But, but uh, just one of the most, uh, you know, impactful moves uh in wwf history um and of course unfortunately negatively owen hart uh tried to do a tombstone to to steve austin and didn't do it properly as austin mentioned you drop to your knees on a tombstone pile driver but owen dropped it was behind and messed up austin's neck but that's just goes to show what a what a potentially dangerous move it can be if it's not executed properly uh, it's going to be a lot of pain, but Taker is able to make it look very painful and not hurt people at the same time. So, uh, number six is the tombstone pile driver from Death Valley's own Undertaker. Nice. Yeah, it's a classic, man. It's a classic. Nothing can be. Nothing bad can be said about the tombstone pile driver. Uh, all right. So yeah, that brings us to our top fives, gentlemen. And my number five, Adam has already uh, Adam has already mentioned this. It's uh, Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, and the Doomsday Device. The first time I saw the Doomsday Device, man, it was cool as shit. Just to see these two massive guys, you know, bring up a guy on the, on their shoulder, like Animal would bring the guy up on the shoulders, like. Like uh, like Adam said, and then Hawk would do a flying clothesline off the top rope, and the guy who and their opponent, the guy who was on Animal's shoulders, would just go head over heels, literally, mm-hmm. on the way to the mat. It it if done hard enough, and believe me, they stiffed the hell out of a lot of their a lot of their opponents. It looked like depending on how they landed in the ring, it looked like they killed these guys after doing that doomsday device. It was really freaking cool. I remember um, doing the doomsday device. I don't know if you were with us, Bob, because I, you, you weren't really one for pools. Cause I know you, you can't really swim, but I forgot who I was with, but me and my brother would like, I would, I would put my brother in, into up on my shoulders like we were doing the doomsday device and somebody would come off the side of the pool like they were hawk and clothesline them off we would do that all the time in a pool it was it was fun to do really the only safe way to do it is in a pool when you're when you're little kids but yeah the doomsday device awesome move one of the best tag team moves of all time and yeah, we can't really dispute that, man. That's my number five. Yeah. 
Pool party at Tony's. Yeah, it was a cool, nice pool party. I was not invited, probably because I couldn't swim. Probably one of the only Mexicans that cannot swim. But it's okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> um, the only thing I remember taking from from your brother more than anything else is your brother loved to do the uh, Superfly Jimmy Suka splash off your dresser onto the bed, and I would be the the victim of that move every time, which was always fun. Because, like, yeah. your brother would do that move to me and, like, the macho elbow. And then when it'd be a time to put a move on your brother, he'd be like, okay, you're going to do the 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 bear Zukov, uh bear hug. And I'm like, what the hell? And he's just like, no, no, that's what, that's what you can do. <laughs> and then he'd be like, oh, no, no, you're going to do the the Kempatera, uh full Nelson and see if I can break out of it. And I'd be like, no, these moves suck. Like, I want to do it. No, no, no. Only I could do the snook of splash. And I'm like, all right, whatever. But... Again, since you mentioned tag teams for your number five, it's going to um, actually go right into mine, segue into mine nicely, and I take the tag team of the Young Bucks, and I do the Meltzer Driver. Um, the Meltzer Driver, nice. I always get them too confused, Nick and Matt Jackson. Uh, one of them picks up the opponent, and he puts them in the tombstone uh, position like um, that we mentioned earlier with The Undertaker. But while he has him in the tombstone position, the other uh, brother goes out on the outside and he does a springboard somersault and at the same time catches the opponent that's in the tombstone position and does a spike pile driver with the tombstone at the same time. Uh, Hope that made sense. Hope you understand what the hell I'm talking about. But if not, look it up. The Melter driver is... As a tag team, like you mentioned, the old school with uh, the heart attack, and, and that was so much fun to watch. And right now you just mentioned the uh, the Legion of Doom. But as a tag team, to see that finisher nowadays, you're like, holy crap. Um, maybe 15 years from now, you know, when we do another one of these versions of our podcasts and our kids are listening to it, they'll probably be like, hey, how come you didn't put the Melter driver on? Well, I just did it. Uh, it'll probably be higher up on the list when we redo this episode in 15 years. But uh, that for me is my number five, the Meltzer driver by the Young Bucks. Yeah, it's that's a cool ass move, and I love the fact that they <laughs> named it after Dave Meltzer. That's that's. I was going to ask. I was going to ask that because I actually uh, was watching some moves today, uh, looking for ideas, and I did see that, and that, that is a killer move. I, I was wondering if it had anything to do with I'll Dave Meltzer, uh, Eric Bischoff. Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave. Yeah, Bruce Pritchard and Eric Bischoff are big fans of him. If you ever listen, I'm sure a lot of people are. Cornette them. is too, I believe. And we need oh, Richard. Sure he is. <laughs> well, my number five is, uh, I think, appropriate now, and it was just a sheer coincidence. Uh, both of you have mentioned this already. Uh, Brock Lesnar's F five nice. is my number five. Um, Again, like uh, both of you mentioned, just just the fact that Brock, you know, Brock is a beast. He's one of the most, you know, I remember, uh, you know, when I used to read Pro Wrestling Illustrated, every time I went, my mom went in the grocery store, everyone uh, built up Sid uh, Vicious as like the next Hogan in terms of look and, and, and being, you know, just badass looking and just looking like the real deal. And, and Lesnar reminds me of that. He is, you know, he's got that 
obviously he he did MMA too, but he, he he's kind of like a bigger version of Taz at ECW. Just looks like a shoot fighter, was an amateur wrestler, uh, just all thousands of different ways to kick your ass. And, and again, like with Goldberg and the Jackhammer, this big guy can just pick you up. Doesn't matter who you are. I, I I've seen him do the uh, F5 to the Big Show on several occasions, and again, it just it looks effortless. And the man is insanely talented, and it's it's just a very cool move because uh, yeah, just the way he whirls you around is drops you on your face. Uh, one of my favorite Gorilla Monsoonisms is he just picked him up and uh, dropped him like a sack of garbage. That's exactly what Brock Lesnar does to people with the F5. He just he just picks him up, spins him around, plays him the bit, and just drops you like a sack of garbage, and, and you're flattened. So uh, one of the coolest moves I've seen, especially uh, this year of wrestling, is the F5. Uh, that starts off my top five. Nice. Yeah, like I said, it's definitely an eye-opener, man. The F5, it's it grabs your attention. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, my number four is probably the most, as they say, protected finisher in uh, wrestling history. No, I'm not talking about Hogan's leg drop. I am talking about the Stone Cold Stunner. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stone Cold Stunner is my number four. Uh, Yeah. I mean, talk about popping a crowd. I, you know, I don't know if there's another finisher out there that pops a crowd the way that the stunner does. You know, it's basically just, you know, two middle fingers, a kick to the gut, right into a right into a stunner, and that's it. You know, that's all she wrote. Don't didn't really see a lot of people kick out of uh the Stone Cold Stunner too much, you know. I know the the Rock did a few times when they were, you know, wrestling at WrestleMania just to, you know, kind of make things a little bit more dramatic but when uh when stone cold put the stunner on you chances are that was lights out and it's it was a really cool move man it was it it, it was cool in its simplicity you know it, it's it's kind of like one of those man why didn't i think of that kind of moves you know just a kick to the gut then you just bring the guy's you know chin right into your shoulder and then you just sit down and just boom that's it that's all she wrote and nobody could deliver it like stone cold steve austin could man he made that move his own and yeah the stone cold stunner that's my number four definitely a good way to start off with the number four right there um huge fan of that um move right there and for me my number four is the one that you mentioned a little bit earlier and that to me is uh the canadian destroyer um like you mentioned pd williams doing the the First time I saw it is what I think he did it to Elix Skipper, uh, fantastic WCW alumni right there. He did uh, it, like like you mentioned, it's a flip sunset flip into a pile driver, um, and when you see it, you're like, holy crap! You know, like like you mentioned, the first time I saw it, I had to rewind it many and many a time. Um, it's just so much fun to watch because it just happens so quickly when he does it, and you're like, what the hell just happened? Um, like you said, a lot of wrestlers do versions of it now. Adam Cole sets it up where he jumps off the top rope, and then he catches you and then dives into it. Um, actually went to a 
uh, indie show recently where one of the um, Trey Miguel, he's one of the rascals from Impact. He did the move where he dove headfirst through the bottom rope and caught the guy and turned it into a Canadian destroyer from the dive from the bottom rope. It was very, very impressive to do. He did it to uh, Brian Pillman's kid. It's just like, holy crap, what the hell did I just see? But the original Canadian wow. Destroyer by Petey Williams, uh, huge, huge fan, always will be. So much fun to watch that move, but that, that right there is my number four. Awesome. Yeah, like like you telling people if you haven't seen the Canadian Destroyer, man, get on YouTube and watch it, man. You won't be uh-huh. you won't be disappointed. All right, Adam, how about your number four? My number four was a game changer uh, for me when I first saw this. Um, you know, big men uh, throughout my history of watching wrestling. You know, they were you know, as we kind of discussed, a lot of big men were limited in what the last week's show. A lot of big men were limited in what they could do, but the effective ones like Andre the Giant and an earthquake and um, I believe oh Yokozuna, yeah. You know, uh, like like I mentioned last week, my father would just tell the big fat guy to sit on the small guy. That was what he would do when we'd watch wrestling. And they used their weight uh, to get themselves over just to show big and powerful they were. But uh, this big man, uh, one time I'm watching WC, some WCW program, and he's got the guy down on the mat, and he climbs up to the top rope. I'm like, what is this big guy doing climbing to the top rope? Then he's got his back to the guy. And he does a freaking flip onto him. And I'm like, holy shit. Talk about a holy shit moment. And that was Vader doing the moonsault. To this day, I still marvel at the fact that a 450-pound man was was just was able to do such an agile move that you see so many lighter wrestlers do. Uh, and, it, and it looked good. It didn't look sloppy. It just it was just it was just awesome. It was and it kind of changed my perception of the big man a little bit. Just like Vader had so many killer moves back in the day, the bump and the Vader bomb and his power bomb was really, really stiff. But the moon is my favorite just because, you know, who would have ever thought a 450 pound guy could be that agile. So again, it was a game changer for me. And um, I really paid a lot more attention to WCW in those days because Vader was just such a unique talent. And uh, just the fact that Vince McMahon shat the bed with him so bad is is just ridiculous. It's as it's as tragic as Mike Modest not getting a wrestling contract <laughs> and beyond the mat, really. Um, so um, <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. uh, Bob Benton being a huge Taz mark, I was a huge Vader mark. Oh, I thought you so. Said, um, I thought you were going like to say you're a huge Mike Modest mark. Oh, well, that too, of course. I mean, he's ready now. He's ready now. I was a huge rolling mark, but, you know. (laughs) Well, he could rock the Zubaz. There's no doubt about that. That's right. So um, all that is to say that Vader's Moonsault is my number four. Good pick. Good pick, yeah. You don't see a lot of super heavyweights doing a moonsault. That's that's for damn sure. All right. So we are in our uh, our top three, gentlemen. And, um, yeah, my number three, Bob has already mentioned it. Um, 
it's Kenta Kobashi's Burning Hammer. That is my number three. Yeah, it's 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 a killer move, man. It really is. It's like Bob said, it's a it's an inverted uh Death Valley driver and it just basically like just gets slammed right onto the back of your neck. It's a wicked, wicked move. And it looks like if you do it the wrong way, it could definitely paralyze a guy. It's it's scary to watch, but it's also breathtaking to watch. It's it's a it's kind of weird like that. Um I remember the they have a video of the first time that Kobashi used it, which was against Mitsuharo Misawa. And they put him he gets put up in the position and the crowd is kind of like gasping, like, what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? And then he does the driver and it's just like the air goes out of the building. It's just, they couldn't believe what they just saw. The burning hammer is, yeah, it's it's definitely putting the emphasis on that move. It, it's putting an exclamation point on the end of the match. Yeah, definitely. That's that's my number three, man. The burning hammer. I, yeah, that's all I can like, say about like it. Like you mentioned, I saw that video earlier too when he did it. And I watched a couple other versions of it, but it's it's a special move. It's very very special, and uh, it's it's definitely fun to watch. And with regards to that, my number three, like you mentioned earlier as well, um, the Stone Cold Stunner is uh, my number three finisher. Um, earlier, I mentioned sometimes when you would buy the ticket, uh, you bought it just because you wanted to see a for a certain finishing move, and I remember you and I go into house shows and we knew that stone cold was going to be on the card and we're like, all right, just can't wait to see the stunner tonight. You know, uh, it, it was definitely a move that was the price of admission. Um, you know, I, I, I know we stole it from Mikey Whipwreck with the whippersnapper that he had, and there's been other versions of it, like the diamond cutter and the RKO and uh good old shout out to spike Dudley when he would do the acid drop. But, um, the stone cold stunner, the, the kick to the stomach, and, you know, just grab you, stun you. Kevin Owens does his version of it now, but to me, my favorite will always be Stone Cold's. Um, again, the way he transitions into it, I'll always remember the famous match with Shawn Michaels where he catches Michaels' super kick, um, spins him around, kick to the gut, boom, match is over. Um, it's always just so much fun to watch. And the other thing, too, that I noticed with that is a lot of these finishers are amazing, but it's the person that they're wrestling that sells it perfectly as well. Um, no one sold a stunner like Scott Hall and, and The Rock. Like when, when those guys would get stunned, the way that they would flop around in the ring, it was amazing. And all the, a lot of these moves, some of these people can't do yeah. these moves without the other person selling for them as well. So uh, the stunner was a fantastic finisher, and that for me is my number three. Yeah, I used to love how Scott's Scott Hall sold the stunner. He would he would take it and like fly five feet in the air. It was awesome. Yeah, I happened to be at uh the No Way Out pay per view in Milwaukee when uh when those guys came back, nice. the original NWO. And I was sitting uh at, it was at the Bradley Center and I was we were sitting pretty high up and I thought Scott Hall was gonna land in the seat next to me when Austin stunned him. I mean he was like he he jumped sky high straight up in the air and fell right on his back. It was it was a thing of beauty. And I agree with with you, Bob, with uh Scott Hall and The Rock were the two best that I love selling the, way the, the Rock stunner for it. sure. Uh 
he just kind of crumpled yeah. his body and you know we should have known then he was going to be a big time actor i guess tony's favorite so uh num- yeah tony's favorite right oh yeah <laughs> him and mongo mcmichael no <laughs> <laughs> He's he's my favorite he's my favorite mayor of Romeoville, Illinois. That 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 that's without a doubt. Well, he's my favorite strip club owner, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> kind of going back to what you said, Tony, about the simplicity uh, and uh, of the move, but how it got so over with the crowd. Uh, that would lead me to my number three, um, and it's three little letters: D, D, and T, which. Uh, of course, many folks did the DDT, but the one who's known the most for it is Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, he had the best DDT, in my opinion. I think it was the extra whack on the back he gave the guy. I mean, for all those of you wondering what a DDT is, uh, Jake gets in a front face lock, slaps you in the back, and just goes straight down. And it just looks like it puts your lights out. And I, uh, the thing that put it so high for me, again, um, this is not to insult Jake, Roberts, but I think you know nobody did more with less than Jake the Snake Roberts. Really, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't athletic. I mean, he was, but he wasn't compared to a lot of other guys of that time. He wasn't built crazy. You know, he just looked like an average guy. But just the psychology he brought to the match was just unprecedented, and the DDT was part of it. He, he I think, one of the reasons he was so over is because he looked normal. And the crowd could kind of relate to that. And, uh, yeah, uh, one of the few moves I can think of where, you know, the crowd is chanting the, the move before it's even done. I mean, he, uh, like Bob just mentioned with the stunner, too, you know, people paid to see Jake Roberts do the DDT to somebody. Uh, I remember him uh, being on a card when he was doing the angle with Rick the Model Martel uh, when he got blinded by the perfume arrogance and... <laughs> Martel was fighting <laughs> some jabroni at the horizon and Jake comes out to go after Martel and he, and he DDTs the jabroni instead. And the place just went eight. You know, it, it didn't matter who he DDT'd. Um, but again, I think someone mentioned uh, when he was supposed yeah. to feud with Hogan and uh, the crowd was chanting DDT and all that. And that pretty much killed this heel push against Hogan. I mean, the guy was just insanely over, and so was that move. And, of course, Jake himself would chant DDT if he had enough to drink before the match. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, check the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view out somewhere. Uh, but uh, you know, Jake the Snake, just a one-of-a-kind talent. And, again, DDT is not, you know, we've been talking a lot of complicated uh, moves. It t- takes a lot of talent to pull off, and this this was pretty much dropping a guy straight on his head. But just the way he executed it was just second to none. So that's why Jake the Snake's DDT is my number three. Nice. Yep. Yeah, you you pretty much said it all there, man. It's a beautiful move. All right. Well, we got we're down to our top two. My number two. Um, is from Kenny Omega. It's the one winged angel. Um, yeah, out of all like the current wrestlers out there right now, this is probably my favorite finishing move going out there right now. It's what it is is Kenny Omega, 
who's one of, if not the best pound for pound wrestler going today, what he does is he, he gets a guy similar to what animal does in the doomsday device, gets a guy up on his shoulders. Then he takes one hand and kind of tucks the guy's head down. Um, and then just goes right into a, like a sit down driver, like almost a Michinoku driver, but yeah, just like a, like I said, one winged angel, just use the one hand to bring the head down and just drive the drive his opponent down into the into the mat. It is an awesome, awesome move to to look at. You can tell, you know, it's very high impact. You you can tell that when it's done, the match is over because just the way it looks and the way it's it impacts and everything. There's no way anybody's kicking out of that move. And, yeah, very inventive, very creative, and very impactful. And did the whole, you know, my jaw drop first time I saw it, test, that passed it, everything. Gets a pop from the crowd every single time it's done. Yeah, passes all the tests. Kenny Omega's one-winged angel is my number two. Does the big boot test? Is that your number one? <laughs> no, 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 no. But test theme music. If we ever do, if we ever do the theme music thing again, if we try it a third time, maybe test theme I'm music. I'm ready to go with that there. one right after the show. If you want. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can do a uh, the theme music karaoke Ooh. episode. Yeah, we, we should. gotta get Richie for we that. Should. One. He'll sing us Larry's Abyssal's theme song. Yeah, and I want, I want, yes, and I want Tony, <laughs> I want Tony to do uh, Billy Guns too. I'm a nice man. Oh, there's a preview. Hey, did you guys get my tugboat theme music uh, text the other day? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Um, there's no way to segue it into my number two from that one, so I'll just make up the, the possibility of it. But um, you and I had the, prev- the the privilege of seeing this move in person, Tony. We went to a uh, Ring of Honor show, and um, Ring of Honor that night was feuding with New Japan. So they had a bunch of the wrestlers from New Japan there feuding with Ring of Honor, who at that time was the elite and the... Uh, the the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Adam Page, Cody Rhodes, all those. But one of the guys that came over from New Japan was Will Ospreay. And um, my number two is Will Ospreay's Stormbreaker. Um, I remember I remember when we saw this nice. movie, both of us were like, holy fuck, what was that? Um, Will Ospreay does this move, Adam, called the Stormbreaker. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. He, he, he takes you... Um, Remember the position, like it's like it's a power pump, a power bomb position, like the razor's edge would be, right? So he pulls, he does a double underhook, and he pulls you up into a position, kind of like a gut wrench suplex, where he's about to do that. But while he has you up in the air with the double underhook, kind of like I said, like the razor's edge, he transitions from that move into a modified corkscrew neckbreaker. Um, so when he has you up in the air, he lets you drop and then he twists his body, catches you and does a neck breaker with it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I remember when we saw it, we were, we both were like, Holy shit. The whole place popped. Um, 
you it, it, yeah. it was amazing and, and and you just like we we both looked at each other and just said what the fuck did we just see it was amazing it, it like tony said it's a move that passes the test any possible test will osprey just to see live in person is another one that's just well worth the money you pay just because he's so amazing to see live um but that for me is my number two the Stormbreaker by will osprey fantastic move yeah, it's it's a great pick, man. I, I to be honest with you, I forgot all about it. Now that you mention it, it's like, damn, that should have been on my list. Yeah, yeah, good pick, good pick. All right, Adam, how about your number two? All right, uh, this is uh, my tag, the best tag team maneuver ever, in my opinion. And I was privileged to see it live once or twice. Uh, that would be from the land of extreme, the three D Dudley Death Drop. I just remember seeing it on ECW. I think uh, one of the first times I saw it, they're fighting. I want to say it was maybe Dreamer and Sandman, and they did the 3D. And I'm like, oh my god, what an awesome move! You know, uh, talked about the heart attack clothesline earlier. It's it's somewhat like that because uh, Devon picks up the guy the the same way that Nightheart used to pick the guy up for the heart attack, except. Uh, Bubba Ray would do like a his own version of the stunner with the guy up in the air and, and a lot of impact there. And I can't name a tag team aside from uh, was it uh, aside from Masato Tanaka. I can't think of many people who kicked out of it. Uh, they just put down several tag teams with that move, and it was just very creative and and just so cool looking and just another thing to love about the Dudley Boys. They just they drew heat like nobody else. Um, you know, a lot of the times, uh, dealing with heel tag teams, you know, you, you remember so many heel tag teams having a manager interference, you know, and you, Jimmy Hart's megaphone or, or, you know, some female manager's shoe or something that, you know, they, they went dirty, but the Dudley boys, I think were hated so much because, because they riled the fans, they knew how to get a crowd going. They knew how to get heat, but they also had a killer move that, you know, uh, they were legit. That's kind of the same thing with Brock Lesnar. Uh, Lesnar isn't the cowardly heel. I mean, the, the, he's got he's got the moves to back it up, and that's that's how the Dudleys were with the Dudley Death Drop when they were heels in ECW, and then it just continued on into the WWF and beyond. Uh, just quite frankly, just the coolest tag uh, finishing tag maneuver I've ever seen. So, three uh, D Death Drop uh, checks in at number two for me. Nice, nice. Well, we're at our number ones, gentlemen, but like we do every week, we have some honorable mentions to get to before we get to our top pick. So let's start with our honorable mentions. I'll start with mine. My first honorable mention is Triple H's pedigree. We all know the pedigree. What Triple H does is he uh, gets the opponent's head between the legs, gets the double underhooks going, and just crashes them face first down onto the floor. It's a, it's a pretty devastating maneuver, you know, and it's cool to look at, you know, impactful, everything you want to know about a good finishing move. The pedigree meets it. Didn't quite make my top 20, but it's a cool move anyway. Uh, yeah, the pedigree is in there. Also, I have Alistair Black's Black Mass. Um, 
Yeah, Alice, the Black Mass is basically, it's a spinning back heel kick, like a standing spinning back kick. Um, but the way that Alistair Black delivers it looks so fucking cool, man. It's It looks stiff as hell, and just the delivery of it, it's really fucking cool. I, I remember um, my, the favorite Black Mass he ever yeah. did was Johnny Gargano. He, he, um, he he gave him one, then Gargano kind of like fell forward into him, almost not quite collapsing. But then Alistair Black holds him back up, says something along the lines of, I absolve you from your sins. And then does another one, even stiffer than the first one, and just knocks his ass out. Really cool move. I love the Black Mass. Yeah, it's in my honorable mentions. Uh, my third honorable mention is... Um, Bad Luck Fale from the from the uh, Bullet Club, his his finishing move, which is called the Bad Luck Fall. Basically, what it is is it's a um, it's a like a it's a jackknife razor's edge, pretty much. Um, Bad Luck Fale, he gives he gets the guy into um the razor's edge position, you know, like the crucifix power bomb gets him into that position. And instead of falling forward, like the razor's edge, bad luck folly just throws the fucking guy halfway across the ring. It's really cool to watch. If you get a chance to watch it on YouTube, it's a really cool move. Yeah. Bad luck folly's bad luck fall. My fourth honorable mention um, goes to Victoria and the widow's peak. I don't rem- I don't know if you remember Victoria or the Widow's Peak, but it's a really cool move. It's basically like the Gory Special, you know, Gory Guerrero's move, the Gory Special, but that turned into like a sit-out neckbreaker. It was a really cool fucking move, really high impact, one of my favorite moves at the time going. Um, yeah, the Widow's Peak, awesome move in my honorable mentions. And my fifth honorable mention, Adam already mentioned it. I'm a Tajiri Mark, and Tajiri's brain buster was top notch. Probably the best brain buster I ever remember seeing. That was his finishing move when he was in ECW. He never really used um, the brain buster when he was in WWE. He did the buzzsaw kick, really, as his finisher when he was in WWE. But that brain buster that he did in ECW was... A plus, man, perfection. And it's not just because I'm at the jury mark saying that. He really did do a great brain buster. Yeah, that's my fifth honorable mention. Those are all good mentions. And um, Austin Aries throws a beautiful brain buster. I'm not sure if you ever got a chance to check it out. And uh, I'm I'm also a huge fan of uh, Victoria because uh, as a chiropractor, she's the only wrestler I ever got a chance to actually work on which is cool. Uh, I got to meet her at a a health fair once and she was there and super, super cool. She had, uh, I believe she was impact women's champ at that time. And she had the belt with her and super awesome chick to meet. Uh, very, very nice. But I, I, I mark for Victoria all the time. Um, my five honorable mentions, I start off with the man of a thousand holds, Dane Malenko and the Texas Cloverleaf. Um, I was a huge fan of that move. He it was he would pretty much grab your legs, grapevine them, and then put his arms in between the the legs, and then flip you over, kind of into like a half Boston Crab style thing that he would do. But uh, huge fan of the Texas Clover Relief. 
Um, number 24, or well, another honorable mention, is um, the Frog Splash. You guys mentioned RVD's version. I mentioned uh, Eddie Guerrero's version. I was always a huge fan of both. Um, we mentioned why I liked RVD's earlier, but the reason I liked that set earlier is my favorite was Eddie Guerrero's just because of how precise he was with it. Um, beautiful thing to watch. Still would pop the hell out of the crowd, especially when he hit Lesnar with it and he won the title. Huge, huge fan of that one. Uh, the next one would be the go to sleep by CM Punk. Um, it was a fireman's carry and then he would just pick you up from there and drop you into a knee lift. Uh, originally it was from Hideo Otami or Kenta as he calls it, but, uh, it got popular when Punk took over with it. And that's the version I remember. That's the version I liked and huge fan of it. Um, the next one, it's true. It's true. The Kurt Angle ankle lock is one of my favorite finishers as well. Just the way he would take it. I know Ken Shamrock introduced it when he first did it, but I never liked Ken Shamrock. Uh, when Kurt Angle took over, (laughs) (laughs) when Kurt Angle took over with it and he would add the grapevine to it where he would just wrap up your legs with it. Love that move. Uh, love that finisher. It was, you know, you you knew Kurt Angle's background and you would see the like I mentioned with Benoit when he would put the cross face on you, the way the angle would hold your ankle. You actually thought he was going to snap it, you know, and, and you would believe it. And then my last honorable mention was mentioned by you guys earlier too, the Doomsday Device by the Legion of Doom. Uh, fantastic move for a tag team. I really wanted to put the 3D by the Dudleys on there. Uh, huge fan of that one that Adam mentioned earlier. But I, f- I looked over up and down my list, and I felt like every other one of my finishers was some kind of variation of a cutter. So I thought I had too many out there with the, the 3D. So I just figured I'd go with a Doomsday device on this one. Nice. Nice. All good mentions, man. All right, Adam, how about your honorable mentions? All right, uh, you guys mentioned uh, Sweet Chin Music uh, from Shawn Michaels starts my list. I mean, on the surface, it seems, okay, it's just a, it's just a kick, but uh, he made it so much more. Um, you know, he won many big matches with it. Uh, it. You know, and again, we were talking about spontaneity earlier in the show, and, and a great example was when he did it to Shelton Benjamin. And, uh, yeah, he could pull that out of, out of nowhere. I remember we always used to laugh, you know, when he would, you know, stomp his foot, you know, cause then up oh, the opponent knows it's coming, but he still made it look really, really cool. And, uh, you know, again, it was a great, I, I like, I'm a big fan of lights out moves. That was, that was a great lights out move. Um, and of course who, I mean, I know they did, I think, uh, him and Marty Jannetty did do sweet chin music together in the rockers, but, the the, uh, the sweet chin music heard around the world was when he hit his former partner with it on the barber shop and threw him through the window, and uh, of the barber shop, and that's still my favorite Bobby Heenan line to this day. Did you see Janetti try to dive through the one. window? <laughs> the monsoon just went eight. Will you stop? So uh, that starts off my honorable mentions. Uh, number twenty four. You have two yeah. cold Scorpios four fifty splash, which is basically. Him standing on the turnbuckle and doing a flip um, and just hitting it perfectly every time. Again, uh, Scorpio gets a lot of love from us on the show with good reason. A very uh, underutilized talent and a lot of great matches in both tag and singles. Uh, number 23, I have the Perfect Plex, which is uh, Kurt Henning's Fisherman's Suplex, uh, especially when he had his 
long run as Intercontinental Champion. No one got out of that move. Uh, that was another monsoonism. Does he have the fingers locked? Does he have the fingers locked? Because you're not getting out of it if he has the fingers locked. Um, it was a very cool, unique move at the time. Um, and I always loved how he how he set it up. He just shouted, now you're going to see a perfect plex. And then everyone would just boo. He, he would get a lot of heat just because people love to hate Mr. Perfect. Uh, my next honorable mention uh, is another tag maneuver from the Steiner brothers. They had a lot of great maneuvers, but a lot of them are kind of, uh, you know, Scott would have the the Frankensteiner and, and Rick had the Steiner line. And so they had a lot of great individual moves. But the move they did together was the Steiner driver, which was kind of like the doomsday device, except instead of a front clothesline, uh, Scott would bulldog you off the top rope. And that looked like it hurt like hell. Um, Steiners were a very great team together. Uh, kind of wish they never broke them up. And number 21, I got to give more love to Scott Hall uh, this week. Uh, my last honorable mention, Razor's Edge. It's uh, a cool-looking move. Uh, starts off like a power bomb, but then he falls forward to his knees and drops you. And I always loved when he would, you know, do the thing with his hands after he, he hit it. I just thought Scott as Razor was just such a cool gimmick, and, and he was a great worker. Um, and I was always a big fan of that move. And I also loved when he set it up with the, uh, with the, the back slam off the second rope too. So, uh, that rounds up my honorable mentions. Nice. Yeah. Good honorable mentions all around boys. All right. So without further ado, let's get to our top picks. Our number ones, our favorite finishing maneuvers of all time. I'll go with my number one. We'll start out. Adam mentioned it as, as his number two, and it's my number one. It's the Dudley Death Drop, the 3D, coming from the Dudley Boys. I mean, it's it's a killer move, man. It's a it's a, basically it's an atomic cutter. What happens, like Adam said, you know, you if you've seen the art, the 3D, you know what it is. They whip the guy into the ropes. Devon picks the guy up. Um kind of like in a flapjack kind of way, picks him up and starts falling backwards, and then Bubba Ray comes out from the side and hits the cutter on him, sometimes through a table, to uh, added effect. And, yeah, that's all she wrote. That's uh, that's the 3D, the Dudley Death Drop. And, I, you know, it's it's put out many a great wrestler. It even broke Beulah, McGillic- Beulah McGillicuddy's neck. You know, it's... It's a famed move, man, and I love it when they telegraph it to the point where the crowd knows it's coming and everybody in the crowd just goes, 3D, and then they just hit it. It's it's fucking cool, man. I, I love the 3D. It's my favorite finishing move of all time from my favorite tag team of all time, the, the Dudley Boys. Yep, that's it, the 3D. My number one. I'm kind of sad that you didn't put uh, the battering ram by the Bushwhackers on there because I thought that was going to be your number one. I was hoping. I was hoping. It was, you know, it just kind of, they overdid it, man. It got played out. It, it was my number one until about, you know. 1989. When they became, uh, the, yeah, about 89. That's why I want to say when, when uh, you know, I used to be a major Luke. Uh, a major Luke Mark, but you know, just, they just kind of fell flat. I remember when you would walk around you know, with just... the haircut and you would do the strut in my basement, and uh, 
you know, you were, you were a little <laughs> sad when they lost to the Nasty Boys in the Coliseum back in 1982. Uh, that's because I, I hated the fucking Nasty Boys. That's why. Oh, my number one was mentioned by you earlier, and that is the One Wigged Angel by Mr. Kenny Omega. Um, nice. I, I I saw it at at All In. He took on Pentagon, which was an amazing match. Um, you know, like you said, it's it's um, it's a one handed electric chair drive. You know, like like you said, he lifts you up kind of like uh, Animal does from the Legion of Doom for the Doomsday Device, and just wraps you up with one hand around your neck. And like you said, electric chair drop forward onto your back looks very impressive. Uh, he did it in that stampede match in the football stadium on Sammy Guevara off a ramp onto, onto some kind of stage underneath. But just the way he did it, amazing. Huge fan of that finishing move. Uh, always fun to see it live. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just an amazing move to see. Probably, like you said, Kenny Omega is one of the best ones out there now. Um, so much fun to watch. I mean, we, when we saw him at the Ring of Honor show, just the pop he got before he even came out, like his music hadn't even played and the crowd started going crazy for him just because they knew that Kenny Omega was going to come out. Um, if you remember, Tony, when, when when that show was announced and they announced Omega was going to be on it, this, this show sold out in three minutes as the fastest a Ring of Honor show ever sold out because Kenny was there and again yeah. it's just one of the reasons why you purchase the ticket because you know you're going to see the one winged angel and when you see it you're like holy shit that's an amazing move fantastic to watch that's my number one finisher the one winged angel kenny omega awesome yep like you said it was my number two i can't disagree with you man you know good better. pick good pick <laughs> that's right or I'll do it to you off the rack. All right. Uh, or I said, if you disagree, I'll do it to you off the rafters. Damn it. <laughs> nice. All right, Adam. How about your number one? Nobody at the big boot. I was about to say that. Nobody. Nobody, no, no love for Hulkamania. No, I guess not. Guess not. Well, you're not getting it from me either. Um, <laughs> but uh, my number one, uh, there, there are better and cooler moves. But again, we're talking, uh, I, I went with this at number one because of just the overall impact it had on the wrestling business and arguably pop culture. I'm going with the Stone Cold Stunner as my number one. Uh, I witnessed uh, Austin wrestle many times live and and the roof just blew off the building every time a stunner hit um, like, like nothing I'd ever seen before. And uh, so that's why I went with it uh, with my number one. Again, you're talking, if, if you're talking impact, you're talking pop, you're talking just, you know, what it, what it did for the business. I mean, uh, they always call it the stunner around the world. Uh, nobody laid their hands on the company, uh, the head of the company. Vince McMahon was, was just some announcer guy and all of a sudden shit got real and uh they admitted he was the owner of the company on camera and the, that first stunner uh he did the Vince McMahon on Raw in like 97 just, it was it was shocking it was one of the sh- most shocking things in wrestling that you put your hands on the boss and you know Austin was already over I mean he was supposed to be a heel I remember in his book 
uh, Brian Pillman giving him shit for saying, oh, you're a white meat baby face. You know, he was supposed to be a bad guy, but I mean, he just got over with the fans because of his unique personality and style. And again, he was, again, kind of like I mentioned with Jake Robertson, the DDT, he was just an everyman. You know, he just came to beat you up. Uh, wasn't fancy. He just kicked your ass. And, and uh, as, as Bob mentioned, there, there's been lots of different cutters, but but this one is the best. Just again, how it gets the crowd involved and how many people have lost as a result of the stunner. And again, it also had that degree of spontaneity because you could you could get it in real fast. You just a quick kick to the stomach and and bam, you, you got it. And you're and uh, he won four or five titles that way. Uh, so I mean, the the it has everything to me um and again it made the biggest impact arguably the most impactful move in the history of wrestling because even people who aren't into the wwf at the time were talking about it and imitating it uh all over the place so the stunner is uh my number one and i'm sure that makes stone cold and jr very happy (laughs) the way you hyped it up i I honestly thought you know saying it's it's just pop culture knows it and it's an amazing finisher like I, I thought you changed face and, and you were going to do the, the five knuckle shuffle by John Cena. <laughs> that would have been a twist. <laughs> no, I thought you were, I thought you were going for the garden, but he garden stomps. Oh, well, I think that could be for another show. <laughs> <laughs> topic. I'm kind of showing my hand though. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of ones we overlooked, man. Like you said, the atomic leg drop, you know, Hogan's leg drop wasn't on there. Uh, the shake, rattle and roll honky tonk man wasn't on there. The million dollar dream, dream, the Cobra clutch, Sergeant Slaughter's Cobra clutch, uh, you know, there's a lot. But I think what. There's a lot. There's a lot that we didn't get, but I think the ones we did pick were really f- were top of the line, man. I, I don't think you can really dispute any of our lists. These are really great finishers, and like I said, if you're listening to this and you and there's a particular finisher that you don't know or have never seen before, look it up on YouTube. They're there, and if you want to just be impressed, if you want your jaw to drop. Just look them up. Believe me, you won't be sorry. All right, boys. Well, that's an end of another episode. Uh, you know, how do you guys? How are you guys feeling after this one? This one was fun. Like you said, it was. There's a lot of people that uh, we we left off. I mean, Adam's boy John Cena wasn't mentioned. The, the Rock Bottom wasn't mentioned. Um, no. You know, there, there's uh, Ricochet does that six thirty flip in the air. That's amazing. But again, it's, it's we could only do twenty, so twenty five actually. But it's still very hard. But like you said, there, there's a lot of people that might have gotten skipped over. But it is what it is. It's still fun and still hard to do the show, and and it still makes it a lot of fun just to do it. Good topic. Exactly. How yeah. about you, Adam? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Barry Windham's superplex, too, but I just couldn't fit it on my list. Uh, I, I don't know why, but, like, anytime anyone does a superplex, I was Larry Barry I'm Wyndham. always a fan of his Larry. I don't care who's doing it. Yeah, that, too. 
So, but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it too. Um, it was fun to, to go and look at them mm-hmm. too. Just to, you know, this is like doing something for school, but it's a lot more fun researching wrestling moves than it is, uh, you know, uh, researching uh, the Crimean War or something like that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, for me, I think uh, I, I love the power move and I love, you know, uh, what it, the psychology and what it what it does for the audience that was a big factor for me anyway. But but yeah, um, it was hard to narrow it down for sure. And I mean, there's there's some some moves that you would see that are to me were super basic, like the running power slam by Braun Strowman. I see that move and I'm like, I hate this move. Like, how is that a finishing move, especially for such a big man? You know, I, I didn't care for it. Like we mentioned crush's head yeah. crush you know the the kona crush or the heart punch we're like really you know but then you have like the scientific moves like the sharpshooter that no one mentioned or the scorpion deathlock you know it's just like hey it is what it is but it's it's still a fun show it's still it's still hard to do it all right boys well yeah so i guess we're done so yeah until until next time for uh, the Warsaw Blonde, Adam Kolavik, and for my partner in crime, Dr. Bob Lopez, I am Tony Lopez, and we will see you guys in our next episode. So, yeah, till next time, we'll Night. see you later. See ya.